we're talking about how our God is at work. Uh, and we, we, every week we come to see what God can do, be reminded of what he can do. And, and we know that having been renewed in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, we can now go and impact our homes and neighbors and every generation with the hope of Jesus. And we do that through God's provision. God is providing for his people to be able to accomplish his purpose. Even in a pandemic, we are to engage, we're to adapt, and we're advanced together under the lordship of Jesus Christ, trusting that God has a plan for this season, that he is doing something new. We've been looking at a scripture in Isaiah chapter 43 to help us to be able to discern our times so that we can accomplish God's purpose for what he has for us right now. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, Let's go now to Isaiah chapter 43. Today I'll be in verse 20. I'll be preaching specifically from verse 20. But I want to go ahead and read all of 16 through 21 just for the sake of context. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. And again, we're in Isaiah chapter 43. Uh, the, The scripture to be preached is verse 20, but I'm going to read 16 through 21. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, Who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you perceive it? Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness, a river in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself that they might declare my praise. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. If you would be seated and pray now for the preaching of his word. We were made to live in a garden. It was the Garden of Eden. But we rejected God's leadership and we chose to go our own way. And so now we live in a broken world. And that world is broken because of our sin. We were made in the image of God and we were responsible to care for and to expand uh, his glory throughout the world, but we didn't do it. But God in his grace, he did not abandon us. Instead, God himself chose to enter into our time and space to bring redemption. If you don't remember anything else today, remember this, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And the way we gain that eternal life is by receiving the grace given to us in Jesus Christ, by drinking it in. We, we know that we've all sinned. I, I don't think I have to convince anyone that we as human beings are sinful creatures. What I think we, I often have to and am compelled to try to convince people of is that we can't fix ourselves. And the proof that we can't fix ourselves is that God himself came to fix us. God would not have come had we been able to do it on our own. He would not have gone through that excruciating suffering pain to bring redemption if there were another way. There's only one way to be made right with God, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. No, this world is not as it should be. God's design was harmony and perfection in that garden where each one of us would have been given the perfect role and the, and the perfect work to, to build a city around the garden that would have brought glory to God. But because of sin, we now live in a broken world. But here's good news. Here's gospel. If we will repent and believe in Jesus, we can be forgiven of our sin, we can receive his life, and we can pursue and recover God's design. What our text reminds us of today is the fact that God has provided his life. 
to all who will believe, who all who, to all who will trust in him, we can have this eternal life through Christ alone. And, and this is because of the grace of God. Our God is a gracious God. And he gives grace to all people, but not the same kind of grace. The, the Bible teaches that there are two kinds of grace, and, and we see both kinds in our text today. Let me explain to you the two kinds of grace that God gives and invite you to receive the life of Christ in the second kind of grace that God gives. But first, let's talk about the first kind of grace that God gives to everyone. Make note and remember, God gives common grace for all life. He gives common grace for all life. Look in the verse part of uh, verse 20. God says, the wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. The beasts are scavengers like the jackals. They're unclean animals like the ostriches. E even those will be cared for by God. And that's what common grace is. In the Old Testament, there's a distinction between the clean that God accepts and the unclean that God rejects. And that distinction in the Old Testament was, was pointing and points to the distinction of the New Testament between the unredeemed that, that are rejected by God and the redeemed that are received by God, that are loved by God, that are endowed by God with the grace that forgives and gives new life. This is the, the way our God works. Now there are unredeemed and redeemed in the world, but God loves us all and he gives common grace. That's why we read Jesus saying in, in Matthew 5, 45, for he, God, makes his sunrise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Every day the sun comes up. Each day the warmth of the sun brings life. And that life is a blessing to all. It is a common grace. Now, within that common grace, God provides blessings to human beings that are very particular to us as creatures made in the image of God. Every single human being has dignity because every single human being is made in the image of God. And there are unique blessings that come with being made in the image of God, being God's image bearers. And these are common grace gifts that God provides to, to all people. Now, I will tell you before I list these four, now, and this morning I'm just going to give you four uh, of the many, but these four in particular I share with you because these four in particular are being rejected by our culture right now. As a matter of fact, uh, these four blessings are being snuffed out by our society. To help you understand why that is and, and, and what it is that's happening, I want to recommend to you a book. Uh, rather than take a, an hour this morning to explain uh, all of the, the cultural uh, issues that we're facing today, I want to ask you to, to purchase uh, a book by Dr. Al Mohler. Uh, the, the book is called um, The Gathering Storm. Every morning I, I listen to a podcast called The Briefing. And, and what this book is, it's, it's, a, it's a bringing together of a great deal of the uh, content of that podcast over the last two or three years. And it has been extremely helpful to me to understand culture, to understand why things are going the way they are and what it is God's word has to say about it. Now, to, to understand this is, is simply to, to get our minds around the fact that human beings are rejecting 
four of the common grace blessings that God gives. Now, what are those four uh, basic, just fundamental common grace blessings? The first is this. The first is conscience. It's just a simple conscience, understanding right from wrong. Romans 2.15 says, they, they show the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Every human being has a sense of right and wrong that's given to us, having been made in the image of God. Even the worst of people have a conscience. Now, the problem is we can all damage our conscience, or our conscience can be damaged by others. And, and one of the things that's happening in our culture today is society is, is trying to say to us, hey, all that stuff that the Bible says is bad, it's not bad, it's good. And it's searing the consciences of many so that they can no longer discern good from evil. God in his goodness has given us the capacity to understand right from wrong. It's called a conscience. And we are, we are wise to, to absolutely cultivate our conscience and that of others with the truth of God's word and the love that he gives. The second is this, is family. Not only does God give conscience, he gives family. Deuteronomy 5, 16 says, Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land of the Lord your God is giving you. If an individual's conscience fails them, it is up to the family of that person to guide them in truth and to restrain them. Mom and dad, it's called parenting. It's hard work. Mom and dad, never expect your children to applaud you for your parenting. They don't like it any more than any of us like God telling us what to do. We have a natural tendency within our flesh to fight against this very good gift that God gives, this gift of family. And, and family is meant to, when the conscience fails, for those individuals to come around and command that person to, to walk in alignment with what is best. And that's what God's law calls us to. That's what God's word calls us to. And when it, when it doesn't happen, when there's a failure in that, it's calamity. Uh, the latest example that, that I have seen in our culture at large is Jerry Falwell Jr. I mean, here is a man who was raised by a, a mother and father who loved him and loved Jesus. Now, these people were far from perfect, and you may not agree with their politics, but one thing I think we can agree on is that these were a people, the name Falwell was associated with morality. This man has not only dishonored his father and mother, but he has harmed the faith of many. Given responsibility of a great institution, he has failed. And the failure began with his rejection of the legacy of his family of his mom and dad. It's important to recognize God's design. God's design is that every person be uh, raised in a family with a mother and a father. As a matter of fact, there's a great strength in a family where a husband, a biological male, and a wife, a biological female, love each other in God's love. There is a great strength in a family where a husband, a biological male, and a wife, a biological female, love their children in God's love. The, 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 the human being that they, they either adopted or made. There is a great strength in a family where children love their mom, that biological female, and that father, that biological male. 
who are responsible for them, who care for them and love them with the love of Jesus, then they in turn love their mom and dad by showing them respect and obedience. Family is a great blessing from God. Not only does it provide correction, it provides care. We found out this morning as the staff was praying together about a woman. She's not a part of our congregation, but we found about, uh, about her need, and we are now praying for her, and I ask you to pray for her. She's a woman with Alzheimer's, and she was being cared for by her adult daughter who died this weekend. This woman is now on her own with Alzheimer's. Friends, if you have family who loves you, and cares for you, you are blessed. Honor God by honoring your family. See, when conscience fails and family fails, there's still another common grace blessing that God gives, and that's government. Government. It says in, in Romans 13, 2, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. See, if the family fails, then government has to step in. Uh, When a person's conscience or their capacity fails, well, then there's criminal activity or there's physical incapacity and the government steps in. Now, to be effective and to be a blessing, the government must provide clear laws that protect property, life, and opportunity. For a government to be a blessing, the blessing God meant for it to be, the government must protect people from other people. We are all sinful by nature. And I want to assure you that some of those that are causing the the greatest pain in our culture, were we given their childhood? Were we given their life to walk in? Were we given their choices and circumstances? many of us would and could very easily be making the same sinful decisions that they are making. Never forget, we're all sinners. But also never forget, we are dearly loved by God, every one of us, that we are all made in the image of God. And every single person has divine dignity given by God. And, and government is given. And there is, a, there is meant to be with it a blessing that comes. But for government to be that blessing. First, they got to provide clear laws that protect life, property, and opportunity. The government must protect people from other people. And listen, the government must be, must respect and be respected by the people. Remember, without good laws, society suffer. Without protection, society suffer. Without respected law enforcement, societies suffer. Now, friends, we are spoiled here in Bowling Green, Kentucky. We are spoiled because for decades we have had good, godly leadership from our law enforcement at both a a city and county level. If you agree with that, say amen. Let's applaud these who provide for us, who have served us so well, so faithfully. When you see them out, encourage them. Pray for them. Every time you see a law enforcement officer, pray for that officer. Pray God's blessing on that person's family, on their work, that they would serve well. We're, we're blessed here in, in Bowling Green. Uh, make no mistake about it. I can remember 19 years ago when we moved here, I told my wife, it feels like we've moved to Mayberry. I mean, it's so good. When we began to go to the public schools, we were amazed 
Because what we saw here, it reminded us what cost $20,000 a year in private schools in Nashville. We are, we are so blessed in, in this place. I mean, when you look at our superintendents, you see our amazing teachers and what they're doing for our students right now. Let's praise God for our teachers, the students, superintendents. I mean, we are so blessed. We are so blessed. We need to continue to pray for them and encourage them. And, and really, it comes from this, this, this sense of security that comes from law enforcement. Now, make no, make, make no mistake about this. All right, look. Nationally, there needs to be police reform. And, and when I say police reform, here's what I mean. I mean there needs to be some police officers who are fired. They need to be fired because their ideology is inconsistent with human flourishing. And they need to be able to be fired. And one of the reforms that needs to happen is when it is clear that an officer has issues, when an officer is unwilling and incapable of providing the right kinds of protection because of the hate that is in their heart. They need to be fired. Amen? Remove them. And the, and, the, and the systems that disallow that, they need to be fixed. There needs to be reform. And at the same time, th- there needs to be a restoration of our admiration for our law enforcement. A few days from now, it will be September the 11th. And I hope that we can all remember those brave firemen who were alongside of police officers who are running into those buildings to help. And we will remember, most police officers want to help. And we need to see a restoration of the respect for these officers. Now, law enforcement must serve nobly, and people must be able to trust it. When societies don't have a noble, trusted law enforcement that serves well, What is happening in many of our great cities is the outcome. We all suffer. Make no mistake. Government is meant to be a great blessing from God. But beyond conscience, beyond family, beyond government, there's one more common grace that God gives, and that is the church. The church is a common grace. It's a good that God gives to the world for its benefit. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13, says this. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Friends, the church is protector provider and personifier of objective eternal truth. God has given the Bible to and through the church. It is God's word, God's infallible and errant word that is given so that we can know what is eternally true. It is true truth. And where there is no true truth, the people suffer. Proverbs 29, 18 says this, where there is no prophetic vision, where there is no eternal objective truth, the people cast off restraint 
but blessed is he who keeps the law. What do we see in our world right now? What do we see in our nation right now? Don't, don't we see people casting off restraint? Don't we see people doing terrible things? One of the reasons is because there is not a gospel presentation that's going out. It's because the church has lost its saltiness. It has lost its light. Salt is a preservative. It, it protects and provides for the best things within something. It's a light. It shines. It, 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 it removes darkness. That's what the church is to do. That is what our calling is. Without the truth of God's words, listen, human beings are going to worship something. They're going to create an idol, and that idol will always turn on the human race and cause more pain and brokenness. That's what idols do. They're built out of sinful hearts for sinful purposes. And make no mistake, without God's word, human beings have to create laws. And rather than looking at the revealed word of God, here's what human beings do. We look at the other revelation of God, which is general revelation. And so we get these ideas, and this one idea in particular in our own culture called the survival of the fittest. And what happens is when we look at natural revelation to be able to determine laws and structures, and we say, hey, what we ought to fight for is what looks like us. What we ought to fight for is what appears to us to be the best and superior. That's called racism. The reason racism exists is because a biblical understanding of truth and law has been lost. We bought a lie. We bought a lie that said that survival of the fittest is truth. This is what we need to understand. Wherever you find that as the fundamental operating philosophy of a society, you'll always find racism, you'll always find classism, you'll always find sexism. Where you find as the fundamental truth the Word of God, you find mutual respect for all human life. What we understand as God's people, that red, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in His sight. Jesus loves us all. And there is no place for racism, sexism, or classism in the Christian family. As a matter of fact, praise God for that. Yes, believe that. And if that is hidden in your heart, if that is there and it's coming out, you need to repent. You need to talk to someone who loves you and who knows Jesus and his word and will allow you to deal with what's going on in you. You, All you need to understand is you're just buying into the lie of a secular culture. That secular culture always creates racism, sexism, classism. What does scripture create? It creates an awareness of truth in God and his love and the human dignity that's been given to us all. And that comes through the church. Whether a person believes or not, one of the great blessings that the church brings is this eternal objective truth. Now we have to understand where the church comes from. The church comes from the other kind of grace. Make note, the second kind of grace. There's common grace, but then there's redemptive grace. Redemptive grace is is what God gives with his life. God provides redemptive grace with his life, which does several things. Now look at the last part of verse 20. Look what he says here. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people. Friends, this is a supernatural provision God's talking about. Rivers aren't in the desert. 
it's the lack of rivers that makes something a desert, right? I mean, we got to understand, what's a desert? It's a place without water. What's a river doing there? It's supernatural. What God was saying to the, the children of Israel who were about to go in exile is I, he said, he was saying, I'm going to do something miraculous. I'm going to give something that is amazing. And what he was talking about is the Messiah. He was talking about Jesus. Friends, know this for certain. Jesus Christ is the water in the wilderness. Jesus Christ is the river in the desert. He is the one who gives drink to the chosen people of God. Now understand, this redemptive grace with his life, it does several things. First of all, this redemptive grace, we got to understand, has its source in heaven. John 4, 14, Jesus said, but whoever drinks of this water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus told the woman at the well that, that the water he was, that she was looking for was him. And Jesus had come to bring this gift from heaven that gives us an eternal identity, an eternal purpose, an eternal power. Only heaven can give this. And God has come from heaven to give redemptive grace. Secondly, this redemptive grace is received by the Spirit. John chapter 7, beginning verse 37. On that last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Look at this. Jesus is claiming to be the source He is the drink. He is that that river in the desert. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water promised in Isaiah 43, 20. Now this he said, now look at this. Notice when he said this. Now this he said about the spirit whom uh, whom those who believed in him were to receive for as yet... The Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus was promising the coming of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost. You read about that in Acts chapter 2. Now that the Holy Spirit has come, everyone who is born again is free to believe by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin. It's the Holy Spirit who shows us the life of Christ. This, This redemptive grace is received by the Spirit. This redemptive grace is sufficient for life's needs. Jeremiah chapter 2, be appalled. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people, look at this, have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of the living water, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Jeremiah was a prophet of God. He was called the weeping prophet. And he wept because his people had rejected God. And rather than receive the gift of life, that living water, they chose to dig out their own life, a life that was dirty, a life that that couldn't hold, a life that often failed. God alone can satisfy. God alone gives us what we desire. If we do not trust God, we have to build our lives on things that, that will not last. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Redemptive grace provides for life's greatest needs. And finally, this redemptive grace will satisfy with hope forever. I might sweat and 
spit and scream a little bit for just a few moments, so you might want to prepare yourselves. This, this gets me fired up, friends. What I'm about to show to you thrills my soul. Revelation 22, this is the last chapter of the Bible. Look what it says is coming, and look what it describes as being in heaven. Then the angel showed me, look at this, the river of the water of life, promised in Isaiah 43, 20. Bright as crystal, not dirty like the stuff that we hewn out of our cisterns of fleshliness. No, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Picture in the midst of heaven is Jesus. And what is flowing from him? This pure river of life. Look what it's going through. Through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. <laughs> no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. Remember where human life began? Human life began in the Garden of Eden. In that garden, we were responsible to cultivate and care for creation. Now, we didn't do it. Instead, we chose to sin. But had we obeyed God, we would have cultivated that garden where God dwelled with man. And we would have begun to use the gifts God gave us. We would have been industrious. And over time, we, have, we would have built a single city with streets of gold where the glory of God would be found and all people would love and worship him. We didn't do it. We failed. What we didn't do, Jesus is doing and is going to do. Think about it. What did Jesus say about where he was? What did Jesus say was the whole point? When we look at our Bibles, we get this explanation. We understand reality. God created all things to be in harmony, but we messed it up. Our sin has created the fall. But Jesus, God came in person to rescue us. And all who repent and believe in him gain eternal life. And we will experience the restoration. Remember what Jesus said in John 14? Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house. Look at this. Look what he's doing. Look what is happening. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I not told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. When Jesus returns, all the saints will gather to worship him. He will be at the center. Out of Jesus will flow the living water that will feed the tree of life, that will be the food for the nations that provide peace. There's a garden surrounded by a city. What were we supposed to do? We were supposed to cultivate the garden and then we were supposed to build a city so that all God's image bearers could live to glorify him. We failed. Jesus didn't. Jesus is coming again. This last chapter 
points to the promise that's going to be fulfilled. And in Revelation 21, look at this. Look what John saw. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Why? For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Please understand, everything on this planet is going to burn. Make sure that your identity and what you're hoping for doesn't, doesn't get consumed in the fire at the return of Christ. Make sure that your identity and what you're living for will last for eternity because you will. You're going to last forever. If your identity and hope is based on and built on something that won't last, your eternity is going to be hell. Because you will live in a dark place where there's no footing, where no one knows you or cares about you, and you cry out, gnashing of teeth, seeking help that will never come. But for those of us who believe, what's going to happen? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And look what he saw. And I saw the holy city, the one Jesus built, the one that Jesus is building. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of of God is with man. (laughs) He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne, the one in the middle of the garden where the river of life was flowing, surrounded by the city, he said, behold, I am making all things new. He said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The promise of Isaiah 43, 20. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. We will be children of God in this city forever, but not everyone. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Friends, what's your eternity? You have an eternity, just as sure as you have a life right now. What is your life now? Is your life Christ? Is Christ the source of your identity and your hope? Are you confident that he has forgiven you of all your sin and now alive in you, having sealed you, guiding you through this life, promising to bless you for eternity? Or are you on your own? See, if you're on your own, that means you're responsible for your sin. Your sin is against a holy, eternal God. Your judgment will be from a holy, eternal being, and the judgment is holy and eternal. There is no changing it. Choose this day who you will serve. 
Will you serve the one true God or the gods of this world? Will you continue to live for idols and human things that do not satisfy? Or will you turn to Christ? Friends, look to Jesus. If you would, bow your heads, close your eyes right there where you are. Some of you here, some of you listening have never repented and believed the gospel. And you're on your own. But you don't have to be. Right now, ask Jesus to forgive you. Tell him that you believe that he died to pay for your sin on that cross. Tell him that you believe that he's been raised and he now lives. And invite him to live as the leader of your life. If you have prayed that and you mean that, you have been saved and you now need to be baptized. So talk with one of us about how to do that. Email us, contact us on social media, whatever. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, are you part of the problem or the solution? Ask the Holy Spirit right now to show you if there is any wayward way in your life. And heads up, there's a wayward way in all of us that still needs to be corrected so long as we're in this world. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you your sin and repent and recommit yourself to Christ right now. Oh God, you are so good. You are the way maker. You are the one who gives life. It is in your life that we have the ultimate provision. Lord, let us live in this life and to bring hope and healing to the world in the name of Jesus by the power of the gospel. Lord, we need your help. We need an awakening. Holy Spirit, please move on our city. Please move on our nation and through the world. Bring glory to your name through a great awakening. We promise to give you the praise. We know we can't do it. Lord, please do this for your glory, for the sake of your name. Father, we love you and we thank you for your love for us. Bless us now as we go to impact our homes, our neighbors, and every generation with the hope of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.